Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode two of season four here on the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. Today we get into the regulatory and legislative side of the hemp space with my guest co-host Josh Hendricks, ex-president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and former director of business development at CV Sciences and current director of business development at Driftless Extracts. Joining Josh and I, we have Patrick Atagi from the National Industrial Hemp Council and Jonathan Miller from Frost Brown Todd and General Counsel to the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. We'll get into what those organizations are focusing energies on this year and what we might see on the policy front at the federal level under the new Biden-Harris administration. I want to give a shout out to my episode one guests, Annie Rouse from Friends of Hemp and Inavi Market, Chad Rosen from Victory Hemp Foods, and Morgan Elliott from IND Hemp for kicking off the new season here on Let's Talk Hemp and providing a lot of great insight into the grain and food side of the industry. If you folks out there didn't catch the episode, you can download it and listen to it on demand at your convenience from a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartMedia podcasts. I would also like to mention the next episode after today's will air on February 18th, and I will be joined by Joy Beckerman of Hemp Ace International as my co-host, and we will be talking hemp fiber and fiber applications with a couple of excellent guests. Those guests will be announced around the time this episode airs on February 4th. I also would like to let all of you know that NOCO Hemp Expo 2021 is happening in person March 25th through the 27th. We are also working on a virtual hybrid component to complement the event for those that cannot make it in person. We have over 300,000 square feet of indoor space and 85,000 square feet of outdoor space where we will be implementing safety protocols, social distancing, CDC and Denver Health Department recommendations so we provide a safe environment that is COVID compliant for all of our attendees. All of us at Team WAFPA have been working hard to make this happen, and we look forward to seeing you face-to-face or mask-to-mask come the end of March. And with that, I'm going to get my good friend and colleague Josh Hendricks on the line and see what he's been up to, and then we'll get Patrick and Jonathan on the line. And here we are, episode two of season four, Let's Talk Hemp volume up and got josh Hendricks here what's going on josh not much morris it's been a while good to be back on the uh airwaves through the interwebs i guess this would be called yeah something like that we've done a few of these together between what you've done in the past with your hemp happy hour and and what we've done i think we've been on a variety of different podcasts together yeah yeah i always had you had you on obviously at your shows when i would do it at the booth there and then I think you've been on in Lexington too. You've been in the studio, haven't you? Yeah, I think that me, Kate, and Joe Hickey were there. Yeah, exactly. Man, that was a long time ago. Different time, different world we were living in back then. Yeah. I'm all the way in California now, so. I'm in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I know. Tough <laughs> life you're, you're living there. But yeah, different uh, different time. I was kidless. And I think at one point I was homeless for about three months and not even in a bad way, just living in Airbnbs for a while, kind of Andy Rouse style. Not as long or as uh, luxurious as hers, but somewhat in there. Yeah. She's definitely been on the road for what the last year, kind of homeless going from place to place. 
Yeah, I was talking to somebody else. Obviously, 2020, a tough year for so many people in the industry, et cetera. And somebody else was talking about, you know, I try to find the positives. Obviously, I had a baby. Not many people get to spend the first eight months of their baby's life right there with them all the time, 24-7. That has positives and negatives, I guess, sometimes. But, uh, you know, that's certainly a blessing in disguise, and or not even in disguise. But Annie said she'd always wanted the world to kind of stop and she could keep moving. And she said this is this is kind of a similar opportunity. And somebody else was talking about how they missed the chance to go ahead and settle down and have kids because they were envious of my situation. I said, well, you know, the world didn't necessarily stop moving completely, but it was, there was some good and some bad of all the timing and everything that happened. So here we are. There we are. And how is little Wolfie, the new one? He's good, man. He's eight months crawling, pulling himself up and if he ever figures out how to use his feet, he'll probably start walking. But he's he's pretty chill. He doesn't he doesn't give us much problems. Knock on wood. I hear that can change at any point. But um, he's a he's a happy, smiley, giggly guy. Starting to get some teeth and stuff. So I hear that's touch and go sometimes. But we'll see. You'll have to put a little bit of CBD oil when he's teething. Yeah, that's what I, I got. Some CBD A oil that I'm tempted to use at some point so we better be careful saying what we're saying who knows if the child services would come in because you're using the little cb uh, on the teeth yeah i would never i would never do that i know <laughs> <laughs> so you've had some other changes what's going on as far as your work situation you're no longer at cb sciences yeah yeah we uh we parted ways right as the pandemic approached us i guess or hit us in the, in the states here and Obviously, with Jess doing her thing with Winged and having the success she's having, was able to participate a little bit there when, you know, I guess we were a month out from having a baby and a lot of moving parts going along with that. And still involved with the different organizations, still on the board of the USM Brown table. And now the, I guess, interim president of Friends of Hemp and, you know, having a baby, I guess, was a little busy with that and trying to figure all that out. I still have my apartment back in Kentucky and was able to get a buddy to help me move out of there. And as we, because we were kind of in the process of moving in early March back to California when all that hit. I say moving loosely. We, we never really moved other than a couple suitcases, but we were just kind of transitioning our whole life back out here to California. And so, you know, a couple months, talked to uh, two dozen people out there, you know, a lot of folks in the different positions and different situations in the industry and kind of found myself back where with a group I'd worked with at C, uh, you know, four CV sciences that we had worked with in, in Wisconsin, Driftless Extracts. And those guys had, you know, kind of used me as a closely together on this project and they performed and really kind of breaking up here. That credit goes to and uh, he's a certified agronomist, and he actually published a, a book about cultivating cannabis and kind of what he learned through the process. But we're able to kind of produce and show me that. And then over the time in between, I guess, fall of 2019 and, and throughout the course of their second growing season in 2020, we're able to come to market with some ingredient products, everything from a you know, winterized crude extract to a water-soluble 30% powder, THC remediated certified organic product, you know, on the ingredients side all the way through with a lot of aspirations on the food and fiber side as well. Obviously being able to produce at the agricultural clip they are, I see them competing in a lot of ways there. And then um, they've actually just recently launched a, a pretty interesting brand. I think if people know about my fiance's brand, Wing CD, geared towards women only, 
uh, with its pretty packaging and ingredients that are specific to female hormones and things like that. And these guys with a little couple tweaks here and there on my end, since I've come on board, have come up with a brand called Workman's Relief. And it's really the opposite end of the spectrum, right? It's premium, like I said, certified organic CBD and hemp extract products, uh, but without the premium price, which I think is just the the right sizing of the industry that needs to happen and kind of the next disruption is going to be CBD. Uh, it's not even, you know, people call it the race to the bottom. It's not the race to the bottom. It's the race to reality. And the reality is, this, you know, hemp extract mixed with MCT or olive oil or uh, whatever it may be, even if it's certified organic, shouldn't be, you know, $100 for 1,500 milligrams. That's, that's just a designer supplement. And that's not where the industry is going now. And so I'm happy to be a part of what they're doing and, and really working with them on a lot of cool things. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff. I've also got, almost forgot, um, I purchased a equity piece of Best Ball CBD, which is the, a similar type brand, which is really just geared towards the golf industry. We've got my partners to PGA head professional at a little club in Kentucky and kind of took, again, took some of my advice and created this brand a few years ago and got some good traction and really some good results, similar to what Workman's Relief is seeing in the stores that it's currently in in Wisconsin and kind of taking that national now with a little bit of a rebrand and some new product offerings that are really cool and really designed for the golf industry. So yeah, having a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really just kind of going here. It's been, you know, kind of took the fall to gather everything and, and get everything set up and all my ducks in a row. And, and hit the ground running here in 2021. Right on. And you're, you also had mentioned that you're now like the president of Friends of Hemp, the interim president. And I had Annie Rouse on last episode and we talked about Friends of Hemp a little bit. You want to speak to that for a second and, and tell everybody out there why they should be a friend of hemp? Yeah, you know, um, I've been in, involved in so many different organizations. It started back in 1314 with the Kentucky Hemp Industry Council, which is now the Roundtable, which I've served as president of from the, the whole entire year of 2019. Now on the U.S. Hemp Authority Board, I've been on the U.S. Hemp Growers Association. I've started the Kentucky Hemp Industry Association. I've you know, been involved in all these different groups and the entire time I owned the dom domain friendsofhemp.org, hoping that one day we could do something similar with it to what Friends of Coal. And Annie had the Kentucky Hemp Research Foundation, which is a 501c3, uh, looking at all these different organizations and seeing there was a C4 in the round table and a C6 in the National Industrial Hemp Council and things of that nature. Kind of looked at it and thought, well, well, how do we go out and write grants and get some of these research dollars? And how do we be able to raise money within the industry and then looking at it even further, how do we raise money outside the industry? Because this, this crop, this plant does so much good for everyone, whether they know it or not. How do we tell that story and get people to become a friend of hemp? And so I feel like there's so many organizations out there that are hitting up the many, many hemp and CBD companies that exist around the country right now. And they're saying, you know, hey, we want you to be a member. We want you to do this. And it's just a more you know, we're asking the same people to be members of all these different organizations and contribute their money to these things, but we're not really asking the general public to be friends of hemp yet. And so I'm kind of trying to steer that organization to become a little bit of a, a fundraising arm for these organizations that are in the C4, C6 lane. We're going to talk to Patrick and Jonathan about what they're doing, but to kind of be a marketing arm and be that voice before there is a checkoff program, which is years away to both educate the public about what all hemp is and what all hemp's doing, all the good it's doing, both for the economy, the environment, et cetera, et cetera. 
as well as you know making sure that we have a real marketing campaign out there to hopefully get more people buying hemp right like we have to draw more consumers to this we'll probably get into it in the conversations later but uh you know everybody says that uh, the industry's been uh, you know hindered by a lack of fda and blah, blah blah i don't disagree with that but what no one's asking and what no one's answering is, well, let's say the FDA does say X, Y, and Z, and everybody that's in current existence is able to, to fit in that bubble relatively easily. How much more is that going to grow the market? Is it going to be double, triple, 10 times? Is it going to be just going to be one and a half X? What's it going to be? Because right now, there's certainly not a lack of available uh, hemp extracts on the market. If I'm a consumer and I want to buy hemp extracts, I can go get them. I can order them directly to my house. I could probably drive within 30 miles of my house anywhere in this country and find hemp extract, high CBD products of some degree. Obviously, the FDA will help regulate that and help get the bad actors out. But everyone's saying and everyone telling their investors or whoever it may be that the lack of FDA approval is somehow going to change their entire business outlook and, and the future of their business in this grandiose way. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, the, I'm actually the one talking to economists and different things on the ag side. Somebody needs to be talking to these economists on the finished product side. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to really, again, I hope to, you know, I've obviously worked very closely with Jonathan. I hope to talk to Patrick a little bit more about working together on this, but really using Friends of Hemp, which can be a, a fundraising arm to any organization and for the industry itself to market the, or the industry and really what these other non not-for-profits are doing through this arm. So, and long, the long and short of it is, yeah, everybody should be a friend of hemp, but we're going to hopefully make it worth your while with some swag and some cool things that people can participate in going forward. Well, I'm a friend of hemp and I support the discussions we've had talking about the direction of that organization. And, and you're right, there's all these different organizations, the Roundtable, National Industrial Hemp Council, HIA, NHA, U.S. Hemp Building Association, Farmers Association, and then all the state chapters, too, that are no longer necessarily state chapters of the National HIA. And these growers associations, there's just a lot of people out there running around, not very focused on, on the big picture. How do we streamline yeah. all that? And can we streamline it through an organization like Friends of Hemp, and then we identify U.S. Hemp Roundtable is really focused on this, and the National Industrial Hemp Council is focused on this, and and where does everybody fall, and where are our energies best focused? Sure. You know, my motto for years has always been, many hands make light work, and I think you've got a lot of moving parts trying to shoot at a moving target, and it's just kind of chaos, and so you can ask anybody that's been on any of these boards with me. Some people would say I'm Kurt or whatever it may be, but I'm just a really matter of fact person. And when people try to go off on these side tangents, I'm like, well, there's another organization that exists that does that. If you want this organization to do it, about what the mission is. And so, you know, we did a, went through a whole program that uh, I forget his name right now, but uh, a really nice gentleman did for us a strat op program with friends of him, but really landed on, okay, what are we trying to do? as this particular group, not what this group's doing, not what that group's doing, what are we trying to do? And then how can we assist these other groups in what they're trying to do um, while also keeping our focus on our main mission? I think we really, it's not revealed yet, but we'll have a big rebrand and launch and all that stuff this spring. And I think what people will see is, okay, this is really just a campaign to promote the industry as a whole, that obviously people that are participating in the industry should support, but it's really for consumers to support. It's really for 
outside the hemp industry. We're not going to keep hitting up the Dr. Bronners and the Charlotte Swebs and the, the players that are participating in all these other groups and funding a lot of the other actions of these other groups. You know, we're going to try to get consumers to support what we're doing while also educate educating them about what we're doing. I think it's going to be really cool. We're excited to have uh, your, yourself and as hopefully get some of these other groups involved and really create a bit of an alliance between the different C four three six and and you know uh, what that may be. There's obviously going to be multiple C sixes because you got building, you got farmers, you got trade, but there doesn't need to be a, a, a hundred C fours and a hundred C threes. And those C sixes need to have very finely tuned and, and determined missions and what they're trying to accomplish and who they represent, et cetera. That's another thing. I think a lot of organizations not necessarily misrepresent themselves, but they think they represent this population that they haven't yet created. And that was a, a big issue I had with another group was, you know, who's our audience? Why are we trying to talk to congressmen and senators via social media, you know, email campaigns and stuff when we should be trying to talk to, whether it's farmers or builders or whoever it may be, just staying focused on that. So that's a big part of my focus this year is obviously in my spare time, which seems rapidly declining with the baby and the couple new gigs here. But, um, you know, trying to get these nonprofits, you know, where we go. The, the one nonprofit that I put most of my time into is currently the most successful nonprofit with the biggest budget and getting the most shit done. So I feel like I can add a lot of help to these other ones and hopefully send them in a, a little bit of the right direction. It's going to take a lot of help and a lot of cooperation from the industry and a lot of the naysayers, but also these other groups are working with. So looking forward to doing it. Right on and keep leading the way, Josh. You've done a great job the last five, six years that we've got to know each other. And let's get Patrick up here. Uh, Patrick Atagi, he's the chairman of the National Industrial Hemp Council. He's also president and CEO of DA Farms in Nyssa, Oregon, where he is a third generation specialty crop farm owner. He served as deputy director of intergovernmental affairs for the United States Department of Agriculture during the George W. Bush administration. And the rest of his bio is going to be in our podcast notes. So I could sit here and read three more paragraphs, but Patrick has been around the block here the last 20, 30 years, and he's a great asset to the hemp industry. And he's going to be up next. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp Volume Up podcast. I'm here with Josh Hendricks, and we've got Patrick Atagi from the National Industrial Hemp Council today. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, you guys have been moving and shaking there in Washington, D.C. Why don't you give me a little rundown of what's going on there with the new Biden administration? Yeah, no, it's been it's been great seeing uh, President Biden and Vice President Kamala make the transition. They're professionals, very efficient. They're naming people to spots. Uh, for example, Kevin Shea is the acting secretary of agriculture as they wait to bring in secretary-elect Vilsack. And uh, we have talked, you know, in our, in our background info, Kevin and I have known him for almost, you know, 25 plus years since my time in Washington, D.C. So we're setting up a meeting with him here in the coming weeks just to bring him up to speed and make sure that the department's up to speed on all the work we've been doing and during this transition. You know, we were awarded 200000 for the market access program, which we'll talk about later. Kevin was named the Kevin um, Latner, our vice president of trade, was named to the Agricultural Technical Advisory Committee on Edible Foods. And as you know, I was most recently named as Agricultural Technical Advisory Committee on Cotton, Peanuts, and Tobacco. 
So that, that was really awesome because we're getting into, you know, the different other uses for hemp, including textiles. So, you know, very excited and, you know, oils and edible oils like peanuts. So, you know, very excited of the progress we've made and it's, you know, just going at light speed. Um, and with the new administration, we're set, we're, we're set pretty well, you know, so very excited and all the kind of craziness is, is subsiding in Washington, D.C. And we're able to, you know, get to work and get our heads down and put it to the grindstone and get some more successes. You mentioned the that grant that you got for $200,000. Can you just kind of give a quick little rundown on what that means? Yeah, absolutely. For those not familiar, it's called the Market Access Program. And it's part of the Foreign Agricultural Service at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And there's $200 million appropriated for the program. You know, there's several, you know, there's over 100 other commodities in that program, but it allows those groups, you know, including ourselves to market overseas hemp in general. It also allows us to do research and education. And when, you know, travel safe, you know, we can put together a delegation with foreign governments. So this is a benefit since we signed that agreement with the USDA, we're recognized as a partner with the federal government. So we as NIC can go into meetings internationally and recognize from foreign governments as a representative of the industry. So an individual company couldn't do that, no matter what they did or how much they did, because they're not recognized as part uh, as a partner with the federal government. So that's huge. You know, the 200000 is great. Don't get me wrong. The real benefit is that we're now a recognized official partner with the government federal, the U.S. federal government. So we can enter into meetings, you know, internationally with other federal governments and the people that they bring to the table. Uh, So we're really, really excited about that. Hey, Patrick, Josh here. Maybe give the audience a little background on the NIHC and kind of how you guys got involved, obviously moving and shaking at lightning speed as as much needed in the industry. Tell us how that all came about and, and how you got here. Yeah, this really, I get that question a lot. You know, I think I can put two stories into one. My background and as uh, growing up in Eastern Oregon on a small family farm, and you know, we divested most of it as we were, you know, out of the personal things that my father had passed away, but I took over as the president and CEO of the corporate side of the farm and looking at just trying to find investments for what acreage was left, which was, you know, a couple hundred acres, which is not a whole lot in Eastern Oregon. And, you know, the Texas people are like, well, that's a nice garden. But, you know, we all know the, the story of, $18,000 an acre, you know, hemp you know, grows with $2,000 of input and, you know, $16,000 and, you know, million, $2 million in profit. And that, that might've been true for a short time frame. but, you know, quickly as we entered, you know, no, it's like, well, we have a lot of issues that we need to work through of supply chain logistics and, you know, regulations that are hindering the progress. That's what NIHC is here for. But the short story being is, you know, there were farmers asking me, questions and my friends were asking me, you know, what about this? And what are you learning? And, you know, I just realized this is an association. This is what associations do. And so the National Industrial Hemp Council was formed with, you know, with funds from local farmers in Oregon and others, including myself. You know, I really believe, you know, in hemp and following it for really probably more than 30 years when I was a legislative assistant to then U.S. Senator Mark Hatfield from Oregon. You know, seeing Senator Dorgan, you know, sending across amendments trying to legalize hemp, you know, fascinated and following it, you know, finally was legalized. So I, it's, it's, it's such a great product. I mean, a great crop 
um, and sustainable crop. And with this administration, I think it really has a, a, a strong position to really move forward in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. And, you know, with your background and, and obviously your connections, and I've spent enough time in D.C. in the past six, seven years for a lifetime, as far as I'm concerned, you guys, you know, did something that I had conversations with the USDA, whatever, years ago, obviously just entry-level conversations, but the checkoff system, I definitely want you to touch on that because that is a extremely cool development or, you know, opportunity that lies ahead and how we can kind of get there, I guess. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, we, we need to find markets for our product. I think it's the, the left and right hands, right? The international and domestic piece. So internationally, when we wrote, we have a, we have a 10-year business plan. We're not, you know, we're not doing things as they come or saying these things. We have a plan that goes, you know, we're in year three, you know, we've hit our financial marks, you know, every year, almost to the dollar. It's frightening, but it's fairly easily predictable of, of, of growth in an association. But so, yeah, on the one hand, you have the international part. That's a market access program. You know, we're a partner. We're at the table. We're a policy internationally, you know, on the technical committees, really, really well positioned there. And then you have the domestic side. And, you know, there are three parts to that. But basically, you know, the first part is protecting the brand of hemp. What does that mean? It means that the consumer trusts the product. You also you do that with data, but you also, you know, with information that the consumer has information about it. You know, secondly is the marketing, you know, side of that. And that is the, you know, that's the checkoff that, you know, we're talking about. And that's going to be a longer term process. You know, we're partnering with other organizations. Hemp Industry Association, which signed a memorandum of understanding with them to work on it, because that program is an assessment on the farmers and some of the manufacturers, but they have to agree to it. And for those who are not familiar with checkoff programs, it's the gut milk. You know, you've seen the commercials. So it's interesting you say that because I've actually talked about the checkoff system for years now with people, and a lot of the people from the hemp world, you know, other than a lot of the farmers that are big time, you know, major farmers, don't really understand checkoffs because they've never participated in them, and they think like, oh, you know, some guy's going to be sitting in an office in D.C. deciding where all this hemp research and marketing dollars goes, and that's really not the case because, to your point. When you participate in the checkoff system, you literally get to participate in theory, or there's a group of people that get to participate that represent that cumulative group of people. But the you know the example they gave me was the avocados from Mexico, and it was like the second year in a row they had run their Super Bowl commercial. And so I always tell people, you know, that wasn't just some guy in an office decided, oh, we need to go spend a million dollars on a Super Bowl commercial. It was the guys that started the organization nine years before, and the group that participated in those nine years that built up into this super you know, participatory group, and they all decided that's where we want our money to go. And I say this all the time, like 10 years ago, people didn't eat guacamole like they do. You couldn't buy ready-made guacamole, maybe it was 15 or 20 years ago, but you get what I'm saying. That's how these things kind of get the, get rolling down the hill and pick up momentum. Yeah, and I, and, I was, and I was smiling through that whole thing, for those who are just listening, because on our board of directors is Bill Hawks, who was the undersecretary agricultural marketing service at the time he helped implement the avocado program and and i was actually with him you know out in california going up to you know fallbrook if remember right and you know visiting the avocado orchards and talking to the farmers directly so we guided that program in so you know what's our expertise not just we know what we've done it you know we we are the the feds who implemented these programs 
Barry Carpenter, we'll talk about him a little bit later on with Food Safety Net Services, but he was with the Agricultural Marketing Service. So he knows the inside of these programs. And then we have John Johnson, who's with the Checkoff program on the implementation side, the chief financial officer there. So we know these programs. You know, you're not going to see us throw bombs because, you know, we were on the inside and that's just really not productive. So, you know, we really, you know, want to work with folks. And just like you or me, you know, Josh and, and Morris is, we're more likely to work with somebody who wants to work with you than somebody who's just throwing, you know, stuff at you all the time, right? Yeah. No, yeah, totally, totally understand. I think, you know, like I said, just it's everything about this crop and the products that come from it and the the ways that we have to proceed about our business, be it in D.C. or, or wherever, it seems to be a lot about education, right? We're either education, educating the public or the retailer or the, the people within the industry about how dietary supplements work or how checkoff systems work or whatever. It's just yeah. it's why things, the things Morris does is so valuable to this industry, you know, be it the events and the podcast and the media and everything and kind of the coverage and the, the non-biased, unique coverage that he gives us. So good to hear that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're on the right path. And, you know, people may not have noticed it, but, you know, last year, you know, in the summer, the NIC was very concerned about the negative news stories that were going to come out or were coming out. You know, we were getting into that, oh, it's the ostrich eggs or it's the, you know, alpaca wool type of thing and boom and bust. And, you know, we inserted ourselves behind the scenes to talk about the positives of hemp, you know, the potential for hemp you know, the regulatory work that we were doing and working with FDA, you know, when we, we caught some flack because we were talking with DEA, you know, and, and DEA is not out to get us, you know, in the industry, I know the knee-jerk reaction, but, you know, our discussions with them is we're not the target. You know, they're looking at the Delta 8 or, you know, other areas where people are trying to skirt the system to, you know, get product out there that's, that's more questionable than, you know, you know, the mainstream. So, you know, we where, you know, some people don't like us because we are working with the federal government, but you're going to have to work with the federal government and, and the states to get to a place where this is a mainstream crop. And we're doing that. We, we're partnering with the federal government, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. We're getting money from them to promote hemp. You know, that's huge. You know, it's absolutely huge. But, you know, a lot of education needs to happen. You know, Josh, you were at our, our, our inaugural annual meeting in Portland, Oregon, and you know, the hotel was telling us, well, we're not so sure. It's, you know, illegal. <laughs> you got to be kidding. You're in Portland, Oregon. Hemp is legal. You know, you, you're, just, you're, you're killing us. So no, you know, Morris and, you know, Josh, you guys are super, super important to get the word out there of, you know, just basic stuff. Hemp is legal. You know, hemp is legal. You know, you know I'm going to catch some flack, but like CBD is legal to sell. Just follow the rules. Right. Don't make the medical claims, you know, and you're and you'll be fine. I know you're trying to get the advantage out there, but, you know, it, it, you're not helping, you know, follow the guidelines and, you know, we'll, we'll get there and we'll all, you know, be successful. And this is a this is a, a phenomenal crop with this administration. And as you guys know, the remediation that hemp does and pulling out, you know, heavy metals out of the soil and the fiber and the less water it uses, you know, it's in other crops. It's, it's just, it's just amazing. We can change the world, you know, with this crop. We really can. You just need to be patient and just be persistent. What do you think, what's the NIHC looking at for this year, obviously coming off of 2020, big long year for everybody, I think, even, even in the hemp industry. 
What do you think outlook is for 2021? What do you think some of your guys' objectives are for this year? And how do you see that with the new administration? We're, we're very we're very positive of you know where we're going. It's a better environment. We're looking more at you know the food, feed, fiber side of things. So, for example, you talked about research earlier. We talked about research earlier. We're looking at programs where we can partner with land grant universities. And they're already doing it. Oregon State University Global Health Innovation Center is already in those areas. They have a um, symposium on February 9th and 10th, I believe, is the date. And, you know, they're bringing in the groups of, in terms of you know, the fiber and food feed. So we're focusing that on the research side of things. Very much on the promotion of hemp and research in international markets is where we're also focusing. So that's the market access program, the hemp checkoff, as we discussed. So those are the three, you know, the three main areas. And then the fourth newest one that we're very excited about is we're working with Food Safety Net Services and HULA, um, HULA certifies labs and Food Safety Net Services does food testing. They're in the meat, um, poultry and egg space, but the consumer, as I mentioned before, knows what's going into their product. You know, if that's a, a QR code and they can see, you know, what, you know, the question I get all the time, again, you know, Morris is very basic questions like, well, what's what's the percentage? What's in what's in it? You know, as, as we all know, there's all types of, you know, difference, you know, broad spectrum, tincture, CBD, all sorts of language and words and levels that what are you getting? If you go, you know, to the gas station, we kind of look down on it. But, but if it's right and they did the testing right and you know what's in it, you know, the consumer safe. And again, that's that whole consumer protection. Consumer has a right to know but also the consumer feels safe. So they, you know, they'll use a product. I've met many people, you know, who've asked me about that. They go, well, which one do I use? And which one's the best? And, you know, this is a pathway for the retailer to, you know, be able to test and say with confidence what's in it is in it. You know, even to the, our, our concern is, you know, more on the, you know, people who are using melatonin, for example, or serotonin, which mimics the effects of CBD. And then, but it's cheaper. Right, it's cheaper than CBD oil, and they'll potentially put it into a product. And but people do have allergies, right? And if they're allergic to melatonin, what's the story, Morris? What's the story, Josh? Somebody takes melatonin, have a severe allergic reaction. What's in Yahoo News or Wall Street Journal? Who gets sick from what? Not melatonin, and then the damage is done. So you know, very much on the testing, and also labs testing properly, right? Did you can buy a kit, so to speak? I mean, expensive and do testing, but did you calibrate it? How often do you calibrate your instruments? Are you ISO, you know, a standard? All these questions need to be answered. So we've taken the, you know, initial steps, you know, to do that and working with uh, retailers also on, you know, what what they need on their end. So a little bit under wraps, you guys are the first to hear really publicly. So you guys got a scoop on this one, you know, but we're, we're we formed the committee and, formed the, the groups that I mentioned, Food Safety Net Services, A2LA, and other associations. Columbia, you know, CARES on there, our group. You know, so from beginning to end, so to speak, of how do we bring standardization to the industry? You know, obviously there are other folks doing it, but, you know, we're the ones who have the contacts from our members who are really in the industry, who've been there, know it, and will be helpful moving forward. So we're extremely excited about that. Sounds like you got a lot going on. Yeah, you yeah. do got a lot going on. That, uh, you owe me, though. You owe me because that's a scoop. <laughs> All righty. 
Well, I've got a question for you. You bringing up the food safety, does this pertain to animal food and animal feed as well? Because if we are going to get this fiber market going, we need to get the grain and the fiber going together. And obviously the animal feed situation, it's problematic with the timing that it takes to go through the FDA with all these trials. Is there any way to fast track this where it's been it's already been done in Europe and where we know that hemp grain is a viable feedstock mm-hmm. for chickens, yep. for pigs, for cows. I mean, how do we fast track this? Is there a way to do that? Yeah, I think it depends on what you mean by fast track. You know what I mean? <laughs> is, is is three to five years fast track? Yeah, I think we can do it. Yeah. Do you want to get it done this year? No. You know, and we're, we're the word we use in within the NIHC, the National Industrial Health Council, is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So, you know, there when we start talking conversations, you know, over beer of, what about this? What about X, Y, and Z? Well, what if you did this? It's like, okay, let's stop. Let's take a step back. So, so that's what we're creating. We're creating this matrix of very simple, you know, focus on the CBD for the short term. Let's get that in place. So it's not just... The testing is the structure pathway of doing things, right? Then you can expand that. And to your point, Morris, we would expand that into the food feed you know, area, especially in the feed area. But it's also what happens with this administration, right? If you legalize marijuana, you know, cannabis, then a lot of this disappears. But, it, but it's also the legal side disappears, but still the concern of the consumer, right? Well, you know, it's a hormone issue with cows. Why do I need a cow and we're growing taller and bigger because the hormones are in the cows and we're eating cows? And it's like, well, that's not how the chemistry works, right? So we have to, you know, work on all those points, the education, the marketing, you know, all the things we've talked about, they, they all fit in the lanes. It's nothing new. It's, yeah, there's a lot of things, but there's, there's a pathway, you know, for, so with the food and it's like, if you get a testing scheme, that's your path forward, right? If you have it, for CBD, you can transfer it over to food feed and, you know, the textiles too. You know, this is a, what I tell and usually get a smile. You know, you, you're just protecting the brand of hemp, right? And I think Josh might have heard me tell the story, but it's like, okay, what if somebody goes out there, does a TikTok? Hey, I've got a hemp code. I got high from my hemp code. You know, it's like, it doesn't work that way. You know, but we need to have the testing done. We're working, you know, talking with, you know, professors of just doing a test. We know it's not scientifically able to, you know, transfer CBD, THC through textile to the, you know, human body. But you can see the story, right? Good Morning America. Yeah, people are getting high from wearing coats and then nobody wants to buy a coat. So these are kind of the scenario. Or maybe they do want to buy a coat and, you know, it's a huge industry. But, you know, kidding aside, these are the things that we're thinking about, you know, that we have to be able, as an association, that's what they do. They protect the industry protect the industry from those types of stories as a credible source too. You look at our board of directors, we're very protective, you know, appointed board to begin with. We're switching to industry board, but appointed just because we in this space, you know, we needed the folks with a reputation, you know, to provide validation that we are a legitimate group, right? And that we know what we're doing. And we didn't really do a lot of communications early on because we're just like let our record be our our pedigree and i think we're there i know we're there awesome 
Well, thanks for your time today, Patrick. Is there any final words you want to leave us with in regards to National Industrial Hemp Council? No, we have our, we're going to have an in-person meeting in November 14, 15, 16th. Hope to see you all there. We're on track, we think, with the vaccinations and the herd and, you know, everything else going on that it will be a, it will be a good, you know, in-person event. So we're very excited about that. That's in Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, hope to see you all there. And, you know, everybody stay safe. You know, just, well, we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Definitely appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you, Patrick. NOCO Hemp Expo 2021 is happening in person March 25th through the 27th at the National Western Complex in Denver, Colorado. With over 300,000 square feet of indoor space and 85,000 square feet of outdoor space, we will be COVID compliant, socially distanced, and ready to bring live events back to the public. Exhibitor and sponsor registration is currently available and tickets are on sale now. For more information, visit nocohempexpo.com. That was Patrick Atagi from the National Industrial Hemp Council. Definitely appreciate having Patrick on the show. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, it was great. Good to talk to people that talk and think realistically. It was it was very enlightening to hear him talk about the ten year business plan and you know the fact that they are on track and that he understands how membership organizations and how that should grow and everything. But you know, really, I mean, those guys are as connected as they come. Obviously, getting appointed to different committees and things by the new administration and, and working with the, the government to get the 200,000 to go into, you know, look at the exporting of hemp materials and hemp products. You know, we're talking about an organization that I think he said is recognized now by foreign governments. When they go in, they're the, the recognized body to talk about how we export and all this stuff. And that's certainly a lane that I think needs to be filled right now that You've got the roundtable doing their thing domestically here, and, and obviously NIHC is doing a ton of work there. But yeah, it was very, um, very encouraging to talk to him and, and hear kind of what they're working on, and I guess just the professionalism they're bringing to the hemp industry or for the hemp industry is good to see. Yeah, I would agree. It's nice to have people from other industries and that are very politically connected, and then don't come out of the advocacy and activism and just the industry side like I do and a a lot of us do it's nice to have that different perspective because I think it is rooted in reality much more so than your typical advocate and activist no sure it brings brings so much more legitimacy to what we're trying to do you know it's been a big hurdle we've had to try to overcome for six seven years now you guys certainly bring a lot of that to the table and so good the more the merrier I agree And next up, we're going to get Jonathan Miller, who you've had a chance to work with for years and years and years. And I'm a big fan of, and I'm a big fan of what the roundtable's done communication-wise with the industry, as well as the lobbying side and just making progress on many state levels, as well as the federal level. Yeah, I consider Jonathan a close, close friend and obviously one of the one of the closer colleagues I've developed in the past, whatever, we've been at it since 13, 14, uh, when this all got started. You know, a huge asset again to the industry with his background and his connections and with the professionalism he's brought to that side of the table. You know, we had a lot of different folks going in different directions and, and all well-intentioned back when we were lobbying in this state and that state and on Capitol Hill at the same time. And he was a very good uh, cat herder 
you know, along with a few of us that kind of went into the out to the industry and said, hey, please join us. You know, we're all fighting. They, people had their own lobbyists and this and that. We were able to kind of bring that group of people together. And now we're hear from him, but it looks like it's over. I want to say it's almost over 100 companies or something now that participate in the roundtable, obviously, with the other nonprofits that are allied members or whatever they call it now. And, you know, just again, just another professional person that, you know, gives us a good insight into what's happening. He's every day on the phone, zooming all day, nonstop, trying to get what's best for the entire industry. And hopefully we'll get to talk about that a little bit and kind of how that happens, because I think that's an education that the industry and the folks involved in it certainly need. Yeah, Jonathan's made himself available for Let's Talk Camp and everything that we've been doing. Whenever we've asked, he's always been very willing to to share his time and and help us out with whatever we've asked for. So again, it's it's great to have Jonathan on the show and let's get Jonathan up next. And we're back again here with Let's Talk Camp and volume up here with Josh Hendricks today. And we got Jonathan Miller from the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, as well as Frost Brown Todd. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm terrific. I'm terrific. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on here. Jonathan, it's good to, good to be in touch. We're on video here. The listeners can't see us, but it's good to see your face. It's been a while. No, I know. I, I, I'm just used to seeing Wolf's face on Instagram. So that's how I keep in touch with you. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a lot cuter than me. He but no, we got you on is. here today. We're obviously talking about all the, the rules and regulatory stuff that's happening and all the moving parts here. I guess kind of give the give the audience just a quick one-hitter background on the USM Brown table before we get started. Sure. The USF Roundtable was started under under a different name about 2012. Josh Hendricks was one of our original founding members. It has grown from a group of four Kentucky farmers and, and small businesses into nearly 100 organizations and, and companies across uh, the country that represent each element of the hemp food chain. Our focus is on on developing and uh, getting past sound public policy for hemp, legalizing hemp uh, and hemp products and, and uh, trying to minimize and, and strengthen the regulatory uh, treatment of them. And, and I guess that's a bit of a moving target. So we can start with kind of give us current day, what you're working on, what's kind of pressing right now for the for yourself and the other lobbyists you work with at the ground table. Sure. I think our top priority right now is passage of a bill which was formally known as HR 8179. I say formally known, uh, formally known because that was in the last Congress. It it would establish a legal regulatory pathway for the sale of CBD as a dietary supplement. We were real excited just starting in September in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the most controversial election in, in perhaps recent history. We were able to get 30 co-sponsors to that bill. 18 Democrats, 12 Republicans, that kind of bipartisanship in Washington is unheard of. But it demonstrates the strength and support for the issue, the strength and support for the hemp industry. And the bill will soon be reintroduced by uh, Congressman Kurt Schrader of Oregon and Congressman Morgan Griffith of Virginia. They will have a new number. And as soon as that happens, we will be trying to secure even more co-sponsors and, and get the bill passed. You know, we hope to have a hearing in the in the coming months and, and hope to see some some movement. And given the bipartisan support, 
given the fact that the FDA and in, in their response was not a hard no, they, they'd like to see some changes. I'm sure there's going to be some negotiation, but really haven't seen any significant opposition and uh, are hopeful we'll get this passed this year. And that just, that's obviously the, the trade associations for the dietary supplement world have been involved in that and, and feel strongly about that as well. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have another bill, perhaps definitely one in the Senate, perhaps one in the House, that will focus on CBD as a food and beverage additive. And so right now, th- those details are being worked out. The Senate bill might be a standalone bill. It might be part of general cannabis reform. It could be part of a combination of the MORE Act and, and other than the Safe Banking Act. We're, we'll see what happens there. But our, our roundtable is very interested in, in getting both dietary supplements and food and beverage additives. Uh, we think the politics are a little bit uh, more viable for dietary supplements, but we're going to push for everything. And, 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 it's, and I believe it's, it's only a matter of time where we'll get both. Uh, it just depends on how quickly we can uh, get the, the Congress to, 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 to act. Yeah, you know, we had, we've been pushing down this path for a long time. You'd like to get everything in one shot, but you, as we've learned, or I've learned from you, really take as much as you can get whenever you can get it and keep plugging forward. So it's good to hear we're going to have two bills. On the the ag side, what is your what are your thoughts on the USDA final rule that relates to hemp in the broad scope, not just CBD? Yeah, no, we're 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 very pleased with the improvements in the final rule over the interim rule that was released a, a year and a half ago. They obviously listened to us, made changes such as how they're going to sample hemp plants. It's going to be a, in a more generous way when it comes to THC content how they're going to allow more opportunities for disposal on the farm as opposed to requiring destruction of, of hemp crops. They, they've moved the negligence uh, standard where, whereby a, someone who is uh, growing hemp would be considered negligent uh, if it uh, spikes now at 1.0, above 1.0, as opposed to 0.5% in the original bill. And, and so a lot of good things. There's still some elements of it that, that we would like to see improvement. There still is a role for the DEA to register facilities to test hemp. But we don't think the DEA needs to have any role. And, and, and they're also, the way they measure hemp, they continue to test the total THC as opposed to just Delta 9 THC. And so we're going to be working both with the Biden administration. We've had great working relationship with Secretary Vistak when he was um, in the Obama administration, great re- uh, relationships and many meetings with the uh, Biden USDA transition team. And so we're hopeful we'll be able to improve upon that. If not, you know, we'll be going to Congress to see what they can do to provide relief. Yeah. And that's that's the, the front end of the, the agricultural side, which you know plays into a lot of roles in this. And then when you get to the end of it, especially obviously when you're talking about cannabinoids, we get to the FDA and we've seen, you know, the, the real world, the, the plea, I guess they made for Real world research, RWR, I think they referred to it as. What are your? I mean, and this is not necessarily your area of expertise, but what's kind of the tea leaves in the on the FDA side? Where do you see that tracking? Are they just kind of sitting on G, waiting on O when it comes to these bills, so that they have more clear cut answer? Yeah, I mean, we're going to see what happens. We still are waiting on who the new FDA commissioner is going to be, and that's going to help team is. And once they're in place, we'll meet with them and, and figure out where they are. But we're prepared to move forward with our legislative initiatives regardless. The Whether or not we get our bill passed quickly, having the, leg, the legislation out there puts pressure on the FDA to act. 
lets them know that it's the will of Congress that they need to act. So potentially we get some new Biden people in there. Maybe the FDA does take additional steps, but we won't take that for granted. We, we want to get our, our legislation passed and we'll continue to push hard on it. What is there anything new that's happening on any of the state fronts, California or any other states of focus around the U.S.? Yeah, no, we have uh, lobbyists right now in eight states. Those eight states, we see some real positive action to be taking place in the coming months. You mentioned California. We, at the last minute, saw a defeat of a bill that had tremendous support that would have guaranteed a, uh, a legal and regulatory pathway for the sale of CBD, both as a dietary supplement and a food and beverage additive. We're hopeful that uh, that will be, we know it's going to be taken up and and uh, we've got strong support for it. There is an issue about the governor's office had a- added a ban on hemp smokables in that legislation. That's something I know a lot of California farmers are opposed to. And, and that's that, that might be uh, changed in, in the final version. I know that will be the subject of negotiations. But, but ultimately, as, as Josh mentioned, we want to get as much as we can. And it's critical for, for the hemp industry and for, for uh, small businesses to be able to provide uh, some confidence that they can sell their products, they can manufacture and process their products in, in California. Um, New York uh, has just put out a, a very progressive interim rule for uh, the sale of hemp extracts. We, we have commented extensively, met with the governor's office uh, several times to try to improve upon that, and hopefully their final rule can be a model for the country. And then we're looking to try to improve the the uh, kind of a very uh, burdensome hemp law in uh, in Louisiana and, and working in states like Michigan and North Massachusetts to clarify that hemp and hemp products are legal, uh, despite what some agency officials have said. We're, we're trying to get more explicit legislation like you see in probably 25, 26 other states uh, about the explicit legality of, of hemp ingestibles and topicals. Jonathan, can I ask, when you look at that California bill that did not make it through, is that, is that or is there another state bill that is model, uh, you know, model legislation that, that could, you know, be blanketed? Obviously, I'm a, I'm a quick solution person. I know that's a unique question, but is there, is there a perfect silver bullet when it comes to state laws? You or know, the they're, they're all legalization and, and the difference there play effect too. Yeah, there there are a lot of good good laws, a lot of good state laws. Florida, Texas, Ohio, all of them passed in 2019 and, and are all really good in their own ways. Some are more specific when it comes to regulation. Others have more leeway. But I, I do think that once we get uh, past uh, the discussion, will have a very strong law. And, and you know, they, these these legislators don't like cookie cutters. We we hand them a model bill and they play with it. And, and, and then we go back and forth and negotiate and we lose some points like on this smokable ban or, or you know, where, where the governor's office says that this is a line in the sand or or on, on certain labeling issues. Our biggest challenge among states right now is because the FDA hasn't acted, each state has different nuances in their labeling laws, which could require companies that sell products in 50 states to have 50 different labels. And, and so we're, we're working to combat that. And, and hopefully once we get the FDA on board, there'll be national guidelines to help prevent that. Are there any other specific agenda items for the roundtable coming up in 2021? Well, we, we're, we're going to try to get a bill passed to help fix some of the problems in the 2018 Farm Bill. At the top of the list is uh, we'd like to see repeal of the drug felon ban. I think most of your listeners know that one of the 
rougher compromises of the 20, of 2018 Farm Bill was it, it banned drug felons over the last 10 years from owning hemp licenses. So we uh, we were able to negotiate a grandfather clause to folks who were um, previously in programs. But we want to get rid of that. And, and we, we do think that given the, the focus on criminal justice, the fact that uh, the Democrats control Washington right now, that the, the mood is, uh, the climate is, is, is ripe for that. And we'll also want to deal with some of these other issues that have come up, but particularly this issue about in-process hemp extract that, you know, right now the DEA has guidance that says that if that spikes above 0.3% at any point in the extraction process, it could be considered a Schedule One controlled substance akin to heroin. We're trying to deal with that behind the scenes with the agency, but we may need to get legislation passed to clarify that as well. And then Jonathan, give us, we've talked a lot about the USM Brown table, give us a little update on the USM Authority. Yeah, no, we're real excited about the progress of the U.S. Hemp Authority. The U.S. Hemp Authority is uh, the industry's efforts to promote quality and, and self-regulation and, and high standards and compliance with with the state and federal laws among hemp and, and hemp product companies. We just finished uh, year two, another successful with dozens of companies that certified their products. We have just are about to release. Uh, version 3.0 of our of our of our guidance in terms of the the very uh, strict standards that that companies must adhere to to be able to win over the certificate and and you know really optimistic talking to some major retailers who are are potentially interested in, in carrying only authority certified products so that's something that we'll be uh, following up this year and and we've got a really impressive board of directors uh, I know we've got a, a blemish there with Josh Hendricks but just kidding Josh but we also have a form- State Attorney General of Arkansas. We have a former DEA agent, a former uh, FDA official, and uh, a variety of, of folks from the hemp industry, leaders like Josh, who, including our, our president, Mariel Weintraub, who bring a lot of great different talents to the table for our board. Yeah, I take no offense in being at the bottom of that list. There's some, some high profile folks on there, so no offense taken. Well, Josh, you're in the basement where you belong. That's okay. <laughs> you you and Jess and everybody feels that way. So I'm doing my doing my best. But you got one cute kid, that's for sure. That is for sure. That is for sure. Well, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today, Jonathan? Words of wisdom for the hemp industry. Give us a give us the quick motivational talk about 2021. Well, you know, 2020 was a very difficult year for the industry. There's no no going saying anything about that otherwise. It was a tough year for hemp farming. We saw prices crash because of regulatory uncertainty and because of COVID. Uh, people going out of business, bankruptcies. But I really believe 2021 is not just going to be a rebound year, but but a, a return to the the trajectory where we are going in 2019. I, I think the industry is has gotten down to its muscle. It's going to be stronger. And we're going to have some real opportunities of getting legislation passed at the federal and, and state level that strengthens it. So let me put out my, my pitch uh, to your listeners. If they are interested in supporting the industry or CBD industry, easiest thing to do is go to hempsupporter.com. That's www.hempsupporter.com. Sign up for free as a hemp supporter. All we ask for is your email address, your name, and your zip code. And then we will not only keep you up to date on what's going on in, in the world of, of hemp policy, but we'll also empower you to email 
uh, directly, your members of Congress and your state legislators, your governors, even if you don't know who they are, um, we will set up, uh, it's set up so that you can just, with a few easy clicks, send uh, direct emails. And, and when we have thousands of people doing it at the same time, it really does make a difference. So be a hemp supporter, hempsupporter.com. That's the easiest and cheapest thing anybody can do to make sure that we uh, have these victories. Well, for sure, when it comes to communicating with the industry and then providing the tools to go out to, like you said, legislators, U.S. Hemp Roundtable, Hemp Supporter has been the best option out there for several years now. Your communication has been great and you've provided lots of amazing information and, again, tools for the industry to get involved and to make a difference at the state level and at the federal level. So thank you for everything. Well, great. And since we've been teasing them so much, I do have to mention that, you know, the Hemp Supporter website and all of our stuff was created during the term where Josh Hendricks was our president. So he he gets a, a pat on the back for that as well. Oh, thank you, sir. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show this week, Jonathan. And thanks, Josh, for hopping in here. It's good to have two roundtable guys talking about the future of 2021 and beyond. Good stuff. Thanks, Morris. Thanks, Thanks, Jonathan. All righty. No matter what side of the fence you sit, we can all agree that hemp is good for this country. Whether it's the new opportunities it presents for our farmers, the jobs it creates in our communities, the health products that are entering the marketplace, or the positive environmental impact it has on this planet. There are endless reasons to be a friend of hemp. Please join Friends of Hemp today to connect with others who are cheering hemp forward. Visit friendsofhemp.org to learn how you can become a friend of hemp. That was Jonathan Miller, General Counsel to the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and member in charge of Frost Brown Todd in Lexington, Kentucky. Jonathan's been advocating for hemp since the early 2010s. I'm not sure the exact date, but certainly been a friend of hemp, a friend of the industry, a big voice on Capitol Hill and in many state houses around the country, spreading the good word and trying to get all the legal avenues paved for us to have a successful industry. So hats off to him and big thanks to him and the round table and all they're doing. That was uh, hempsupporter.com. If you'd like to check it out and learn more about all the good work the roundtable is doing and kind of all the ways you can get involved, because it's not just the members of the roundtable, as you said, the, the voices that we've been able to create on Capitol Hill and in state houses across the country um, have been through him. You guys have reacted to the social media and the email list, and we've been able to blitz, um, you know, congressmen and senators' offices all across the country with. Um, you know, form letters and things like that showing support, like, like, you know, issues that thing, uh, like an issue that's never been seen before. And so kudos to them. Happy to have, a, have had a little bit of a hand in that, you know, over the years and excited to get back involved and hopefully bridge some gaps there. Yeah. Well, we've been fortunate to work with the round table really since everything's got going with the round table. And again, I'm impressed with the progress and the group of companies that work with the round table and the communication and all that's really helped move everything to this point in time, the last three or four years, like we talked about before. Now, how do we take kind of what the round table is doing and national industrial hemp council and these other organizations, and we start to define our lanes a little bit better. And so everybody's more efficient and we're working collectively and not really, you know, duplicating effort in 
areas that we could just be more efficient. Sure. And there's, you know, we talked about it earlier. There's so many state and regional organizations and good folks doing good stuff. And that's why it's so important. Even if you're not a member of these groups or whatever, get on those newsletters, get on those email lists and follow them on social media. It drives me crazy when somebody from the hemp industry, you know, claims ignorance about knowing something that especially put out there 18,000 different ways and 10 different emails and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you're just not participating. I mean, we're all busy, hand up, don't get me wrong. But I think that whether you like or agree or disagree or whatever, stay aware, stay, uh, you know, stay in the know of what we're doing. U.S. Hemp Authority is a great example, trying to get 3.0 launched, Um, you know, begging, begging people for feedback and how we can better that program because we want it to be the best that it can be. And Patrick, same thing with what they're doing on the checkoff system and, and how that will work. It's not the industry if the industry is willing to participate. And so, yeah, like I said, just we're trying to bridge these gaps. I'm involved in a couple of the, the groups, you know, the other groups that weren't on there today. Both the groups on there today are extremely professional and doing amazing things. And so I would just suggest participation at whatever level you can if you want to be, if you're involved in this industry, and if you're not involved in this industry, still, you know, stay up to date with what they're doing. Obviously, your voice can be heard on HempSupporter.com, and and you can help support what we're doing. But you can also go to Friends of Hemp and FriendsofHemp.org and learn how you can friend of hemp. It's a work in progress, but things are moving, and the Friends of Hemp community is growing. So uh, we look forward to having you there. Right on, Josh. Is there any last words of wisdom you would like to share with the audience today? You know, control what you can control. I think everybody, it's easily, especially nowadays with COVID and quarantine or whatever you call it, stay at home. It's easy to get distracted. And I think if we can, as an industry, uh, come together as much as possible, uh, you know, put the egos aside and sit down and really talk about what's best, whether it be the CBD and the dietary supplement groups working together, which is a which is a big happening, a good happening that's happened in the last, whatever, two years. You know, maybe it's the building association working with the, you know, finding the right people to work with, finding the right connections to make that help legitimize what we're doing and solidify what we're doing for the long haul and not just the interim. I think that's the right mindset for us to move forward. And so, you know, just be um, be cognizant of everything that's going on out there. Put your ego aside and try to think about what's going to be best for the entire industry, but also what's realistic for the entire industry and how do we make it work. We're all doing the best we can. So, again, you know, certainly commend, commend those guys and all the folks working with both those organizations and everything they're doing. I can testify, as, as well as anyone, how much work goes into it and how hard it is to keep those things going and keep those trains running on time with those groups. And they've done a hell of a job. So hats off. Agreed. Well, thanks for being on the show. It's always good to chat with you. Can't wait till we hang out in person again. And hopefully that's at NOCO that you'll make it out end of March because we are on. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the first thing on my calendar. I got a pretty big gap between now and then. (laughs) That is the first uh, end of hibernation, we'll call it for me. And then we'll be heading out to Southern Hemp Expo. I've got more information on that that I'll share with you. We haven't made a public announcement, but there's one coming here in the next couple of weeks that we've been promising, but that's about to happen. Yeah, those are the two keystone events, I guess you would call them, for the hemp industry. So everybody stay on the lookout for that and definitely try to attend in any form or fashion that you can. You know, we need participation 
in the industry, whether it be trade shows or these nonprofits and the, the lobbying and the checkoff programs or the different things we're trying to institute here. So participation is key. And I just encourage everyone to join us and hopefully we can get everything back on track, not only in the world, but in the hemp industry too. Right on. Well said. Thanks again, brother. Appreciate you being on. Thanks, the show. man. Always a good time. Great show. All right. Thanks. That is going to wrap it up for episode two of Volume Up, the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. And I again want to thank Josh Hendricks for co-hosting along with Patrick Atagi of the National Industrial Hemp Council and Jonathan Miller from Frost Brown Todd and the U.S. Hemp Roundtable for sharing their time and insight into the industry and what lies ahead on the regulatory and legislative landscape. Be sure to check out letstalkhemp.com and subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter for the most up-to-date information on the hemp industry. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button on the player, share it with your friends and family, and if you're feeling it, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, or wherever you came across the show. If you are interested in sponsoring, advertising, or being a future guest, drop us a message to info at letstalkhemp.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time around. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.